Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Sea of Monsters, by Rick Riordan. Book 2. Chapter 19. The Chariot Race Ends with a Bang. We arrived in Long Island just after Clarice. Thanks to the centaur's travel powers, I rode on Kyron's back, but we didn't talk much, especially not about Kronos. I knew it had been difficult for Kyron to tell me. I didn't want to push him with more questions. I mean, I've met plenty of embarrassing parents, but Kronos, the evil titan lord who wants to destroy western civilization, not the kind of dad you invited to school for career day. When we got to camp, the centaurs were anxious to meet Dionysus. They heard he threw some really wild parties, but they were disappointed. The wine god was in no mood to celebrate, but the whole camp was gathered at the top of Halfwood Hill. The camp had been through a hard two weeks. The Orson Crafts cabin had burned to the ground and been attacked by a Draco Anonius, which, as near as I could figure, was Latin for a really big lizard with breath that blows stuff up. The big house rooms were overflowing with wounded. The kids in the Apollo cabin, who were the best healers, had been working overtime performing first aid. Everybody looked weird and battered, and we crowded around Thalia's tree. The moment Clarice draped the golden fleece over the lowest burrow, the moonlight seemed to brighten, turning from gray to liquid silver. A cool breeze rustled in, and the branches rippled through the grass. All the way into the valley, everything came into sharper focus. The glow of fireflies down in the woods, the smell of the strawberry fields, the sounds of the waves on the beach. Gradually, the needles of the pine trees started turning from brown to green. Everybody cheered. It was happening slowly, but there could be no doubt. The fleece magic was seeping into the tree, filling it with new power and expelling the poison. Kyron ordered a 24-hour security guard duty on the hilltop, at least until he could find an appropriate monster to protect the fleece. He said he placed an ad in Olympus Weekly right away. In the meantime, Clarice was carried on her cabin mate's shoulder down to the amphitheater where she was honored with laurel wreath and a lot of celebrating around the campfire. Nobody gave Annabeth or me a second look. It was as if we never left. In a way, I guess that was the best thing you anybody could give us because if they admitted we snuck out of camp to do the quest, they'd have to expel us. And really, I didn't want any more attention. It felt good to be just one of the campers for once. Later that night, as we were roasting marshmallows and listening to Store Brothers tell us a ghost story about an evil king who was eaten alive by demonic breakfast pastries, Clarice shoved me from behind and whispered in my ear, Just because you were cool one time, Jacker, don't think you're off the hook with Aries. I'm still waiting for the right opportunity to pulverize you. I gave her a grudging smile. What you demand? Nothing, I said. Just good to be home. The next morning, after the party, ponies headed back to Florida. Karen made a surprise announcement. The chariot races would go ahead as scheduled. We all figured they were history now that Tantalus was gone, but competing them did feel like the right thing to do, especially now that Karen was back and the camp was safe. Tyson wasn't too keen on the idea of getting back in a chariot after our first experience, 
but he was happy to let me team up with Annabeth. I would drive, Annabeth would defend, and Tyson would just act out, just act as a pit crew while I worked with the horses. Tyson fixed up Athena's chariot and added a whole bunch of special modifications. We spent the next two days training like crazy. Annabeth and I agreed that if we won the prize of no chores for the rest of the month, would be split between our two cabins. Since Athena had more campers, they would get most of the time off, which was fine by me. I didn't care about the prize. I just wanted to win. The night before the race, I stayed late at the stables. I was talking to our horses, giving them one final brushing when somebody right behind me said, Fine animal horses, which I thought of them. A middle-aged guy in a postal carrier outfit was leaning against the stable door. He was slim with curly black hair under his white pitch helmet and had a male back slung over his shoulders. Hermes, I stammered. Hello, Percy. Didn't recognize me without my jogging clothes? Uh, I wasn't sure whether I was supposed to kneel or buy stamps from him or what. Then it occurred to me why he must be here. Oh, listen, Lord Hermes, about Luke. The god Archer, Archer, uh, we saw him, all right, I said, but you weren't able to talk sense into him? Well, we kind of tried to kill each other in a duel to the death. I see. You tried a diplomatic approach. I'm really sorry. I mean, you gave us those awesome gifts and everything, and I know you really wanted Luke to come back, but he turned bad, really bad. He said he feels like you abandoned him. I waited for Hermes to get angry. I figured he turned me into a hamster or something, and I did not want to spend any more time as a rodent. Instead, he decided, Do you ever feel your father abandoned you, Percy? Oh, man. I wanted to say only a few hundred times a day. I hadn't spoke to Poseidon since last summer. I never even been to his underworld, underwater palace. And then there was the whole thing with Tyson. No warning, no explanation, just boom, you have a brother. You think that deserves a little heads up, phone call or something? The more I thought about it, the angrier I got. I realized I did want recognition for the quest I complete. But, but not from the other campers. I wanted my dad to say something, to notice me. Hermes readjusted the mailbag on his shoulders. Percy, the hardest part about being a god is that you must often act indirectly, especially when it comes to your own children. If we were to intervene every time our children had a problem, well, that would create more problems and more resentment. But I believe if you give it some time, though, you will see that Poseidon has been paying attention to you. He has answered your prayers. I can only hope that someday... Luke may realize the same about me. Whether you feel like you succeeded or not, you remind me. You remind Luke who he was. You spoke to him. I tried to kill him. Hermes shrugged. Families are messy. Immortal families are eternally messy. Sometimes the best we can do is remind each other that we're related for better or worse and try to keep the maiming and killing to a minimum. It didn't sound like much of a recipe for for the perfect family. Then again, as I thought about my quest, I realized maybe Hermes was right. Poseidon had sent 
has a campfire to help us. He given me powers over the sea that I'd never known about before. And there was Tyson had Poseidon brought us together on purpose. How many times had Tyson saved my life this summer? In the distance, the conch horn sounded signally curfew. You should get to bed, Hermie said. I've helped you get into quite enough trouble this summer already. I really only came to make this delivery. A delivery? I am the messenger of God, Percy. He took an electronic signature pad from his mailbag and handed it to me. Sign there, please. I picked up the stellius before realizing it was interlined with a pair of tiny green snakes. Ah! I dropped the pad. Out, said George. Really, Percy, Mother scolded. Would you want to be dropped on the floor of a horse stable? Oh, uh, sorry. I didn't much like touching snakes, but I picked up the pad and stillius again. Martha and George wiggled around my fingers, forming a kind of pencil grip like the ones my special ed teacher made me use in second grade. Did you bring me a rat, George asked? No, I said. Uh, we didn't find any. What about a guinea pig? George, Martha chided. Don't tease the boy. I signed my name and gave the bed back to Hermes. In exchange, he handed me a sea blue envelope. My fingers trembled even before I opened it. I could tell it was from my father. I could sense his power in the cool blue paper, as if the envelope itself had been folded out of an ocean sheet, an ocean wave. Good luck tomorrow, Hermie said. Fine team of horses you have there. Though, you'll excuse me if I root for the Hermie's cabin. And don't be too discouraged when you read it, dear, Mother told me. He does have your interest at heart. What do you mean, I asked. Don't mind her, George said. And next time, remember... Snakes work for tips. Enough, you two, Hermes said. Goodbye, Percy, for now. Small white wings sprouted from his pitched helmet. He began to glow, and I knew enough about the gods to avert my eyes before he revealed his true divine form. With a brilliant white flash, he was gone, and I was alone with the horses. I stared at the blue envelope in my hands. It was addressed in strong blue, elegant handwriting that I've seen once before on a packet Poseidon has sent to me last summer. Percy Jackson Camp Half Road Farm Road 3141 Long Island, New York 11954 An actual letter from my father. Maybe he would tell me I'd done a good job Getting the fleece, he'd explain about Tyson or apologize for not talking to me sooner. There were so many things that I wanted that letter to say. I opened the envelope and unfolded the paper. Two simple words were printed in the middle of the page. Brace yourself. The next morning, everybody was buzzing about the chariot race, though they kept glancing nervously towards the sky. They expected to see Stymphalian birds gathering. None did. It was a beautiful summer day with blue sky and plenty of sunshine. The camp had started to look the way it should look. The meadows were green and lush. The white columns gleamed on the Greek buildings. Dyas played happily in the woods, and I miserably. I'd been lying awake all night thinking about Poseidon's warning. Brace yourself. I mean... He goes to the trouble of writing a letter, and he writes two words? Martha the Snake had told me not to feel disappointed. 
Maybe Poseidon had a reason for being so vague. Maybe he didn't know exactly what he was warning me about. But he sensed something big was about to happen. Something that could probably knock me off my feet. Unless I was prepared. It was hard, but I tried to turn my thoughts to the race. As Annabeth and I drove onto the track, I couldn't help admiring the work Tyson had done on the Athena chariot. The carriage gleamed with bronze reinforced. The wheels were realigned with magical suspense, or so we glided along with hardly a bump. The ridge for the horses was so perfectly bound that the team turned at the slightest tug of the reins. Tyson had also made us two javelins, each with three buttons on the shaft. The first button printed javelin to explode on impact, loosened razor wire that would tangle and shred any opponent's wheel. The second button produced a blunt, but still very painful bronze spear designed to knock the driver out of his carriage. The third button brought up gabling hook that could be used to lock onto any enemy, carry it, or push it away. I figured we were pretty good shape for the race, but Tyson still warned me to be careful. The other chariot team had plenty of tricks up their sleeves. Up there, togas. Here, he said, just before the race began. He handed me a wristwatch. There wasn't anything special about it. Just a white and silver clock face, a black leather strap. But as soon as I saw it, I realized that this was what I'd seen him thinking on all summer. I didn't usually like to wear watches. Who cared what time it was? But I couldn't say no to Tyson. Thanks, man. I put it on my wrist and found it surprisingly light and comfortable. I could hardly tell I was wearing it. Didn't finish in time for the trip, Tyson mumbled. Sorry. Sorry. Hey man, no big deal. If you need protection, race here, rises. Hit the button. Uh, okay. I didn't see how keeping time, keeping time was going to help a whole lot, but I was touched that Tyson was concerned. I promised him I remember the watch and hey, I'm Tyson. He looked at me. I wanted to say, well, I tried to figure out to apologize for getting embarrassed about him before the quest, but telling everybody he wasn't my real brother. It wasn't easy to find the words. I know what you will tell me, Tyson said, looking ashamed. Poseidon did care for me after all. Uh, well, he sent you to help me. Just what I asked for. I blinked. You asked Poseidon for me? For a friend, Tyson said, twisting his shirt in his hand. Young Cyclops grow up alone on the streets. Learn to make things out of scrap. Learn to survive. But that's so cool. He shook his head earnestly. Makes us appreciate blessing. Not be greedy and mean and fat like Polyphemus. But I got scared. Monsters chased me so much. Clawed me sometimes. The scars on your back? A tear welled in his eye. Sphinx. On 72nd Street. Big Bully. I prayed to Daddy for help. Soon the people at Merriweather found me. Met you. Biggest blessing ever. Sorry I said Poseidon was mean. He sent me a brother. I stared at the watch that Tyson had made me. Percy Gambit called. Come on. Kylan was at the starting line, ready to blow the contour. Tyson, I said. Go, Tyson said. You will win. I, yeah. Okay, big guy. We'll win this one for you. I climbed on board the chariot and got into position. Just as Kevin blew the starting signal, the horses knew what to do. We shot down the track so fast I would have fallen out if 
my arms hadn't been wrapped in leather reins. Annabeth held on tight to the rails. The wheels glided beautifully. We took the first turn, full flight of head of Jamelin's attack from the Stoll brothers in the Hermes area. We got him, I yelled, but I spoke too soon. Incoming, Annabeth yelled. She threw her first jaw in. And grappling hooks, mud, knocking away at leathered weight. But soon, we had entangled a spoke. Apollo's chariot had come up on our flank. Before Amber could rearm herself, Apollo's warrior threw a javelin into our right wheel, and javelin scattered, but not before snapping some of our spokes. Our chariot lurched and wobbled. I was sure the wheel would collapse altogether, but somehow kept going. I urged the horses to keep up speed. We were now neck at neck with Apollo. Hephaestus was coming up close behind. Ares and Hermes were falling behind, riding side by side as Clarice and sword on javelin with Conestrel. If we took one more hit to our wheel, I knew we would capsize. You're mine, the driver from Apollo yelled. He was a first year camper. I didn't remember his name, but he seemed he was jerk was confident. Yeah, right, Amber yelled back. She picked up her second javelin, real this, and considering we still had one full up lap to go, and threw it at the Apollo driver. Her aim was perfect. The javelin grew a heavy spear and pointed just caught in the driver's chest, knocking him against the teammates, sending them both toppling out of their chariot in a backward somersault. The horses felt the reins go slack and went crazy, riding straight forward the crowd. Camper scrambled for cover as the horses leaped the corner of the stands. The golden chariot flipped over and the horses galloped back towards their stables, dragging the upside-down chariot behind them. I held on to our own chariot together. Though the second turn, despite the groaning of the right wheel, we passed us, turning line thunder into our final lap. The axle creaked and moaned. The wobbling wheel was making us lose speed, even though the horses were responding to my every command, running like a well-oiled machine. The Hephaestus team was still gaining. Beckendorf grinned as he pressed the button, command console. Steel cables shot out of the front of the mechanical horse, wrapping around our black rail. Our chariot shuddered as Beckendorf went system. Annabeth cursed and drew her knife. She hacked the cables, but they were too thick. Cut them, she yelled. The Hephaestus chariot was now dangerously close. Switch with me, I told Annabeth. Take the reins. But trust me. She pulled herself to the front of the grab the vein. I turned, trying to keep my footing, and uncapped the tide. I slashed down, and the cable snapped and kite stringy. We lurched forward, and Beckendorf's driver just swung up the chariot to our left and pulled up next to us. Beckendorf drew his sword and slashed at Annabeth, and I pared the blade away. We were coming up on the last turn. We'd never... We'd never make it. If I needed to disable the Hephaestus chariot, get it out of the way, and I had to protect Anna too. Just because Beckendorf was a nice guy didn't mean he wouldn't send us both to the infirmary. We let our guard down. We were neck and neck, Khalif coming up from behind, making up for lost time. See ya, Percy! Beckendorf yelled, here's a little pardon gift. He threw a leather pouch into our chariot. It stuck to the floor immediately. Began billowing green smoke. Greek fire! I cursed. I heard stories about what Greek fire could do. I figured maybe ten seconds before it exploded. Get rid of it! Anna shouted. 
but I couldn't. Professor Strait was still alongside, waiting until the last second to make sure their little present blew up. Beckendorf was keeping me busy with his sword. If I let my guard down long enough to deal with the Greek fire, Annabeth would get sliced, and we crashed anyway. I tried to kick the leather pouch away with my foot, but I couldn't. It was stuck fast. Then I remember the watch. I didn't know how it could help, but I managed to pen stopwatch button. Instantly, the watch changed. It expanded to a mandolin spiraling outward like an old-fashioned camera shutter, although the strap wrapping around my forearm until I was holding a round war shield, a meter wide, the inside soft leather, the outside polished bronze, engraved with designs I didn't have time to examine. All I knew was Tyson had come through. I raised the shield, Beckendorf's sword clanged against it, his blade shattered. What? He shattered how? He didn't have time to say more because I knocked him in the chest with my new shield, sent him flying out of the chariot, tumbling in the dirt. I was about to use Riptide and slash the driver. When Annabeth yelled, Percy, the Greek fire was shooting sparks. I shoved the tip of my sword under the leather pouch and flipped it up like a spatula. The firebomb dislodged and flew into the Hephaestus chariot. At the driver's feet, he yelped in a split second, but the driver made the right choice. He dived out of the chariot, which carried away and exploded in green flames. The metal horses seemed to short circuit. They turned and dragged the burning wreckage back towards Clarice and the Stoll brothers, who had swerved to avoid it. Annabeth pulled the reins for the last turn. I held on, sure we would capsize, but somehow she brought us through the spreading of the horses across the finish line. The crowd roared. Once the chariot stopped, our friends mobbed us. They started chanting our names, but Annabeth yelled over the noise, Hold up, listen! It wasn't just us. The crowd didn't want to be quiet, but Annabeth made herself heard. Hey, we couldn't have done it without somebody else. We couldn't have won this race or got the fleet or saved Grover anything. We owe our lives to Tyson. Percy's brother, I said. Percy's brother, I said loud enough for everybody to hear. Tyson's my baby brother. Tyson blushed. The crowd cheered. Annabeth planted a kiss on my cheek. The roaring got louder after that. The entire Athena cabin lifted me, Annabeth, and Tyson onto their shoulders. We carried us to the winner's platform where Kyron was waiting to show the loyal wreaths.